I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Back Tiger fans to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I am Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is before the box score. Florida Man edition. And not like not the news kind of Florida Man. But you know, it's inspiring the name. We're gonna talk some Florida football. And also not the school, not the Gainesville school. We want to talk about Florida recruits. We want to talk about the most recent Florida recruit. And We've got opponent preview series drop in. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm tired. <laughs> I uh, I'm working like four jobs at once, and it's been it's been a real treat. So uh, things are going. Things are going. How how is everything on your end? Well, I am I am certainly not as busy as you are, uh, but we are uh, still doing. You know, just maintaining, uh, surviving, also advancing. Um, and living in a world that's slowly opening up, uh, for better or worse, whatever take yours is, is totally right. Um, but uh, we are we are getting close to um, everybody just kind of forcing themselves back to where we were a couple months ago, uh, which includes schools being open uh, to whatever extent your definition of open is, uh, which means that uh, college sports are probably going to be happening. Now, a lot of schools are still continuing to cut programs, but um, the point of college sports is to market the university and make money. <laughs> so here we are. It's probably going to happen. Uh, BK, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the odds of even having a season. At this point, are we saying 100% slam dunk? 
I'd be stunned. A absolutely stunned if they don't have a season at this point. Um, I'm at a place at this point, man, where um, should they have a season? I think there's a debate to be had there. And I can listen to both sides of the argument, and I think both sides have legitimate points. Mm -hmm. um, will there be a season that's something completely different. And I don't think that there is a solid argument on the no side of things, especially in the SEC. Like, will there be certain conferences or schools that opt out and decide, yeah, we're not doing this, we can't do this in good faith? M maybe, and most of those schools or conferences will probably be the ones that weren't expecting to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. The SEC is not that conference. There is a 0% chance that the SEC is not playing football this fall. So... I'm going to be absolutely stunned if we don't see anything at Mizzou this fall. And frankly, I think we're going to see them practicing sooner than later. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to get word, what is it, mid-May at this point, probably in the next few weeks, something to the effect of summer workouts resuming at Mizzou. So that's that, that's informed speculation on my part. There's nothing reported there, but I, I would be very surprised if that doesn't end up being the case. I mean, you got to look at SEC media days in July. If those are happening, and that's kind of the, the uh, you know day one of SEC football, um, if those are happening, then we know everything else is probably going to fall into place too. Um, you know, at this point, and, and this is this is more of kind of a rhetorical question because I, I I'm assuming BK is not an intricate knowledge haver of NCAA processes <laughs> and policies in place, but if you have one conference, two conferences, three conferences that say, "Yep, we're playing." And then one or two that say no, we're not. Can you have a season? You know how much how much overlap is there? I, I don't know the SEC schedule uh, for this year all that well. You know how many SEC schools are playing? You know California, for example, for California teams. I don't know. Um, if those teams are not playing, what do they do with their schedule? Is it a bye week? You know how do we how do we you know juggle that? How does that manage? And like I I personally do not know if college football can happen with only a handful of conferences. BK, do you have any insight on that or any thought that you can expand upon that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it just it would come down to individual conferences making the decision on that. But for example, like with the SEC, because that's what our audience cares about, right? Um, how would they make it work? My guess is they would just go down to conference. They would play the nine conference games and those are what matter. And then whatever you want to, or the eight conference games, and whatever you want to do with the other four games on your schedule, you can do that if you want to, or you can eliminate those games if you want to. And is that the best route? Maybe not, but that's the only route we've got. It's kind of like, I mean, all day, every day, I spend my time, Nate, talking about are baseball players going to be able to spit on a field? Are NHL players going to be able to sit next to each other while they're on the oh, bench? What's yeah. going to happen with the social distancing whenever we get uh, the NFL back? Like All of these things are things I talk about every day. And so is college football going to look different this fall? The answer to that question is objectively yes. There's no question that it's going to look different. But it's all we got. So to, to kind of get back to your original question, how do you make it work? I don't know for sure, but I know that they'll find a way to make it work because this is the only option we've got for this fall. I can't help but think that the Power Five conferences, so the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, I kind of get the feeling, even Pac-12 included, that they're going to play. 
Like they're going to want yep. to play or they're going to have someone in the ears of the governors who are holding out and saying, you need to open up. Um, my thought, my concern as, as a as a consumer of college football on the whole, not just Mizzou or SEC, but on the whole, my concern is with the G5. And I think you're going to see a lot of decision makers at that level. So like the MAC, the Mountain West, uh, CUSA or Conference USA, the Sun Belt. Even the American Conference, who considers themselves a power six, the decision makers on that level are going to be sitting there saying, is it worth it to risk the health of our student population to make our athletics budget? Or should we just shut athletics down? And I don't want to pick on any school because I hate them or I think they're they're terrible, but you know, think about like a Kent State or a New Mexico State that operates on a very, very low shoestring budget as it is, do you want to do all of the travel, all of the prep, all of the money that goes into maintaining a football team to get your, you know, to get your budget in the black? Um, or do you just say, maybe we shouldn't have athletics? And that's going to be a very tough decision for those people to make. And the fallout for that, you know, is going to have a domino effect across the country. And I, I'm concerned for athletes at those schools, just as athletes, uh, but also for the health of the people overall. So I don't know. I mean, do you see a, a situation where we lose 10 to 20 athletic programs for at least the next five to 10 years because of this and Power Five schools not paying those schools to play? I don't know that you'll see it for five to 10 years. One thing that I could, and this is me kind of thinking about this on the fly and, and trying to come to, to terms with what we could potentially see, it's possible we could see some of these schools just take a year off uh, of sports, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you take a full year off and you basically sequester yourself and you say, if we don't play football this fall, we can't pay for the other scholarships. We can't pay for the other sports. And so for this year all those sports they're out right and i don't know how you would make this work with those scholarships that's going to be the tough part but for next season maybe you just come back and you say okay when football returns we're back to playing all sports again the difficulty there is how do you then pay for everything for this season you wouldn't have to pay for the travel budgets there would be a lot of slashing to those budgets but you'd still have to pay for the scholarships and for a lot of schools those are the most expensive parts of this so it's a difficult question to answer, man, and it's something that this is why athletic directors get paid the big bucks, because they're going to have to make really difficult decisions. Um, I will say this. I think more places than not, what will win out is staying in the black, mm -hmm. and if football allows them to do that, that's what they're going to do. But for a lot of schools, the question then becomes, does football without fans keep us in the black uh, and if the answer to that yeah. question is no and they're not able to have fans this year and there's going to be a lot of places that you probably can't have fans that that's when it becomes really difficult to rationalize still having sports moving forward i mean they could just ask kansas what it's like to play football without fans around. <laughs> <clears throat> they seem to be doing okay <laughs> You can always do that. Uh, no, in all seriousness, somebody, uh, Kent State cut baseball, wrestling, and I'm blanking on the other ones, uh, which is why they were top of mind to me. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, it's sad to hear that sort of thing, especially for the kids who are already there. Uh, somebody, I think it was like a beat writer or somebody like that tweeted out. I was like, it is very sad. But again, this is a Kent State home football game in October. 
and it was taken from the press box looking down. And there was a busy Arby's level of people in that 40,000-person stadium. And that's the problem, right? There's there's no mm-hmm. one that's going. There's no one that's paying. Um, and that and that's that's your moneymaker at any school. No matter what you're good at, football's the yep. moneymaker. So... Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what what contingency plans they have and all these baloney numbers about, about like how much ticket revenue or concession revenue and like everyone's making their case. I I don't even know who to believe because I don't believe any of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Darren Rovell or any any other sports economics guy. Just like I don't I don't believe that, especially for the owners and like their ticket revenue. That can't be true, Dude, right? That, it. All of this is ridiculous. All of it. Like, I, I'm so exhausted from talking about this every day. Like, no, these owners aren't losing money by putting on their sports. I refuse to believe it. I refuse to believe it. Right. Um, in, in college football, like, if you have a season, you're you're going to make money. That That's how these things work. The, these schools aren't poor. These these owners aren't poor. I I just I I'm at a loss at this point, man. We we talk about it each and every day on on my show here in St. Louis, and it, it it's it's I'm at my I'm at my wit's end. <laughs> did you see? By the way, did you see uh, the tweet about the Georgia football staff and their recruiting trips between their last game of the season last year and the 13 days between that and the SEC championship? Did you see that? No. Apparently, Kirby Smart and his friends took 42 flights, 42 private flights, amounting to $420,000, so $10,000. Oh, my God. um, To cross the country for recruiting between their last game and the SEC championship. That is the sort of... um, excess (laughs) excess <laughs> that you can start cutting if you want to stay yep. uh, in the black for your athletic department. So that kind of leads me to recruiting because if Georgia and their, you know, number God, three years, three years in a row where they had the number one recruiting class where they, they take a lot of guys out of their backyard in Atlanta, but they also are a, uh, a national brand that goes around to find their kids. If athletic departments start saying, you get half of that, or you get a quarter of that. Do you start seeing, like we talked about last show, a more regionalized recruiting system where even the big boys have to mostly look at their backyard to recruit? Uh, because if it's truly costing $420,000 just to recruit a handful of kids to your program, I don't see it, that as something that continues unless the big donors keep pushing it in. So I'm wondering if we start seeing a more localized recruiting community. Any thoughts on that? It, it would make sense. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. Um, I, I'd be curious. It, it all comes back to what we said at the beginning, right? Can, can you have fans or not? Because if you can have fans, I, I think most of what we've seen in the past is probably just going to be what it is moving forward. Sure. Like Places like LSU, um, football is such – it's almost a religion down in Louisiana. And so if people can go to the stadium on Saturdays, they're, they're going to, it's a part of their life. Like it, when you wake up in the morning on a Saturday, you go to the LSU game. When you go wake up in the morning on a Sunday down in Louisiana, you go to church. Like that's, that's just their way of life. And so 
I think for a lot of schools, that's going to be the way it is. Now, Missouri isn't necessarily that way, so it will change things in Columbia, I would think. But it, let's go down the path kind of with what you were, I would assume, imagining here. And you don't have fans in the stands, and so you are out millions of dollars from that gate revenue. Yeah, you have to change things. Whether it be in recruiting, whether it be in what you're planning for your facilities and the renovations there, or upgrades in other areas, or your staffing and making pay cuts be instituted there. Like, uh, there's there's many different places where college athletics could ultimately cut money, but the easiest way to do so is with travel. And that includes with scheduling during the season for other sports and for recruiting for football. So I would imagine that would end up with more regionalized recruiting. Um, But I wonder if places like Georgia and Alabama and LSU are so nationally based at this point that that would almost be something that they look at as a necessity as opposed to something that they can cut. Yeah. For sure. Or does it just mean, hey, we can send the kid a postcard and tag him a couple times on Twitter and we've already got his interest? You know, that sort of thing. Good point. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not in Missouri where you have to work at the relationship and say, well, here's what we're at, where we're at. Here's what we want to do. That sort of thing. So I, I don't know either. But when I saw the the bill for that sort of just 13 days, 13 days of recruiting mm-hmm. uh, just absolutely blew my mind. Um, to, to localize it again, mm-hmm. Nate, uh, one thing you could say, like, even if it, it kind of, kind of to respond to what you just said, it could help Mizzou with St. Louis recruiting, for instance, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. maybe Ohio state's in town less, maybe they still come, but they're in town less mm-hmm. same thing for Alabama. And so those personal relationships that those coaching staffs have been able to develop over the last decade or so. Maybe it's less so with this class for 2021, and maybe that means that Drinkwitz is able to get kind of a head start on some of those kids in the 2022 and 2023 class. Mm-hmm. So it can still help Mizzou, and because Mizzou is likely going to have to be more regionally focused mm-hmm. as a result of this, it can have kind of a boomerang effect that way. But um, I, I just don't know. I don't think it's going to cut off those things for those massive programs sure. the way that it might for Mizzou. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Well, along the lines of recruiting, since that is our favorite thing to talk about in the offseason, we've got a new one. Um, yeah, like I think four days after our last show, uh, Mizzou nabbed the services, the verbal commit of uh, Davian Sistrunk. Uh, he's listed as an athlete out of Melbourne, Florida. Uh, most of his uh, footage, all of his game film is him at cornerback, the defensive back. Um, pretty impressive kid. I don't know if you watched the film, BK, but it's a lot of um, su- super high jumping interceptions and a lot of like pressure off the side uh, and a couple tackles for loss thrown in there. He is a uh, he's a big dude. He's 6'2", 165, so very tall, which is what we talked about in the last show. Um, any thoughts on the commitment of Florida man Davian Sistrug? I like that they're getting somebody outside of the state of Missouri this early on in the process. Yeah. You know? Like we said last show, two weeks ago, that one thing to watch was, is this a result of the COVID thing where you're just getting local kids trying to reserve a spot mm-hmm. or is this real and Eli Drinkwitz and his staff are just doing a damn good job out on the recruiting trail? When you start getting dudes out of Melbourne, Florida, that are deciding to jump on the train, it might make you feel a little bit more like it is just this staff is doing a really good job developing these relationships early on than it would be if it was another guy out of 
St. Charles, Missouri, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that's the difference that we're seeing here. And I also think it continues to reiterate the fact that this defensive staff really likes long athletes at corner. Mm-hmm. We asked that question over the last show as well, and we talked about it on rockmnation.com in one of our recruiting resets of most of these guys that they have recruited in the last few years are six foot or above. Is that just happen chance, or is there something to that? I think we're starting to now see, based on the results, there's something to that. They're almost filtering out a lot of the players that they see that are below six foot, and they're going after these longer athletes at the corner position. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder how much of this is a utility thing as well, where it's like, hey, look, you know, when we recruit just defensive backs as a whole, yeah, six yeah. foot or above, and then once we get you on campus, we'll figure out, you know, if corner, boundary safety, free safety, whatever. But like, we want that you know, evenness across the board where you can play basically all five positions. If that's the case, then, yeah, you absolutely want similar guys, similar builds, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, <laughs> three three or four weeks ago we had no defensive backs. Now we have two, <laughs> and they're both over six foot. They're both over 160 pounds. So uh, it does seem like Ryan Walters, uh, his scheme and his defensive staff certainly have a tight. I do like that they are getting these kids out of Florida. Um, the other little nugget in the recruiting game uh, did you see the thing with Alabama and Ryan Horstcamp recently? Yeah, where he announced that he got a an offer from him. Yeah, seemed pretty excited about it too. <laughs> he was too excited. <laughs> look, look. Hey, here's the, here's the thing, man. You're a high school football player. You've been working your butt off since you've been five years old. You were at the point where you were getting uh, recruited and wooed by all sorts of programs, and the top of the top wants you. That's got to feel awesome. That's got to feel just like rewarding. Like, yes, I am where I want to be. That's got to feel good. So I'm glad for Ryan. As a Mizzou fan, um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, imagine any walk of life, right? Like, let's say, get, get out of sports for a second. Sure. Let's say you're a kid from Columbia, Missouri, and you know you're probably going to end up going to Mizzou. Yeah. But you get accepted into Harvard. Like, yes, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> you should be thrilled about the fact that you were able to get into Harvard and Stanford and those schools accepted you. And then maybe you still ultimately turn them down and decide to sure. go to the University of Missouri. But in that moment when you get accepted to those schools, yes, you should celebrate. Because that's something that most people in this world could never accomplish. And so if you're a kid from Missouri that is getting offers from Alabama... Yeah, go ahead and celebrate that thing. I totally get that. That being said, to your point on hoping that he stays with Mizzou, it it makes me like the situation even more. Like <laughs> clearly, this yeah. kid is talented yeah. in a way that a lot of people didn't see early on in the process. And Drake Winnett and his staff did a good enough job to make this guy want to jump on board. So hopefully, they're able to keep him. That would be uh, one hell of a get. There's a long time to go still, obviously, mm-hmm. but. If they're able to do so, it, it's once again an indication of what kind of a recruiting staff they have. That yeah, that's kind of the point. Like this, this is their first battle. Um, you know, they've been going up uh, against you know basically their home turf against you know a number of big schools, but like they have not gone up against Alabama yet. Uh, the Drinkwood staff, anyway. So, uh, Rake Straw, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, wasn't Bama in on no, that? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Texas and Alabama. So okay second kid <laughs> second kid and this is the first year-long battle yes. with that that was like a three-week battle that happened at the very end yeah. of a 
of a cycle. That that was a that was a different situation for a million different reasons, but um, it, it it happened nonetheless. So it I'm gonna did, hold to that it one. Did. So I mean, my, I guess the point with this one, is, yes, it's a year long process. We got the kid, we got his verbal. Now we gotta hold on to him and fight that right. fight until you know December whatever twentieth. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see. And, and Ryan, I don't, he probably doesn't listen to the show, but like, Hey, we were super excited for you. Take that offer, uh, slap it on the fridge, right? Frame it, whatever you got to do. Um, I also really appreciate kids who are willing to open up to the media and talk about these sorts of things. You don't always mm-hmm. hear these stories and I, I don't want to poo poo them because I like to hear what they have to say. It just, you know, as a Missouri fan, I'm like, Ugh. stay in your lane, Alabama, go away. But, um, no, it feels, <laughs> it feels good. It's, it's rewarding for him. And I'm glad that we got a kid who is so coveted. So that's nice. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're, we're, I talked about Florida man, right? We have our Florida man, Davian and Sistrook. Maybe we have some more, but one of the things with Florida and Missouri, at least over the past, you know, really past eight years, but certainly the entire, uh, time of the, let's call it the Gary Pinkle era on Missouri fans have looked at Florida recruits and I feel like the overall feeling is negative. Is that something you would agree with PK? As it should be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's negative. Uh, I think most of the time we view Florida recruits that come to Mizzou as just not worth it. Uh, and most of that stems from the later Pinkle years uh, and the guys who didn't work out from that 2013-14 class. So, because you all know that I have questions about things, I don't want to take things at face value and just accept them without any kind of research behind it. I did some research, and this will be a article that comes out next week. Um, but you all are subscribed to the podcast, so you get to hear it first. Um, I did a dive into every single player who signed with Missouri from the year 2000 all the way up through 2020. That ended up being 25 guys. And I kind of wanted to walk through a few of them just to give you an idea, a little, a little walk down memory lane. Uh, of, oh, we don't have to. of who these guys were <laughs> and what they ended up being. Um, the first one, the first Florida guy that ever signed with Pinkles Prime was Brandon Coleman in 2002. BK, have you ever heard of Brandon Coleman? I can't say I've heard of the gentleman, but damn, he's got a great name. He, <laughs> old BC, yeah. Um, for all you olds out there that played NCAA 2006, uh, Brandon Coleman was listed as a wide receiver. You could flip him to a tight end. He was like the fastest tight end on the team. I always kept him at wide receiver, so he was my go-to guy. Um, but the point is... It, I hear Mizzou had some pretty good uh, tight ends around that time. We did. We did. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, in real life, IRL, Brandon started zero games, basically had no stats. He did stick around all four years, uh, but he was not drafted and did not play in the NFL. So, that's not a... Yeah, he, he was here. He was, he was a guy who filled out the depth chart. Uh, uh, the four years is a win compared to most of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're giving away my secrets. But, yes, four years is a surprise. <laughs> um, we then go to 2005, and we have Jamar Smith, who was a JUCO out of uh, Miami in Southridge High School. He was a defensive end, uh, split time uh, at the defensive end position. Had a couple stats, no starts per se, but he had some sacks, some tackles for loss. And he finished out his two years. Uh, he wasn't drafted. He didn't play in the NFL. But um, he served his role as filling out the uh, defensive end rotation. And, and that's that's what, all you can really ask for for a JUCO. Um, and then we get to 2006. This is kind of the first, uh, the first quarterback that I remember 
because I thought it was super cool that we were getting a kid out of uh, Tampa, Florida. I was like, oh, we're getting a quarterback, Dominic Grooms, uh, a mobile guy. Oh, man, he could, you know, he might be able to be Brad Smith, too. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's when Chase Daniel took off, so shows what I know. But uh, Dominic did not start. He did stay all four years. Again, this is going to be more of a rarity than you think. Um, but he, he did not do all that much. And then we get to the king, Elvis Fisher. BK, do you remember Elvis Fisher, and what are your thoughts on him? I do remember Elvis Fisher. I actually uh, covered Elvis Fisher at the back end of his career whenever I was at Mizzou as a freshman and a sophomore. Um, And first of all, great dude to be around and was an unbelievable mentor for those 2011-2012 offensive lines. Um, Mm -hmm. That dude helps those guys learn a ton. Um, 2012, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not getting these years mixed up, I think that was his last season, and he got hurt early on, which is kind Mm -hmm. of the story of Elvis Fisher's career, of course. Um, But that kind of opened up the window for a lot of those young guys to be able to get more playing time. He was a huge help inside of that room, I can tell you that much. He he is a guy that is overlooked often, but shouldn't be the way that he is. Um, He was a massive dude, even coming out of high school. Huge. Um, so he, 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 he was in at Columbia for five years, um, started in 2008, he registered in 2007. That's when he was recruited, started in 08, played in 09, 010. And he started there in 11. He got an ankle injury in camp, applied for a medical redshirt and got it. So he got to play for 2012. But again, he was injured for pretty much that entire time. But the interesting thing is that he took over for Tyler Llewellyn. Uh, from the 07 line, who was an awesome starter, four-year starter. And everyone's like, oh, well, who's going to protect Chase Daniels' blindside in 2008? Well, this 5.5 three-star kid out of Florida steps up, grabs the job in camp, and never lets go. And uh, it was just awesome to see that sort of thing. And he had 52 starts, 52 starts to his name, um, and played, again, all the way through 2012, even though he was injured. One of the more interesting things when you look at these is like, you know, we talked about it with Chicago. We talked about it with the Denver recruiting pieces. Who did Missouri beat to get the services of Elvis Fisher? And they went up against Duke, Maryland, NC State, South Florida, and West Virginia. So not a huge offer sheet, but um, yeah. a lot of peers. And that's nice. That's the kind of guy that you want to get if you're Mizzou. Like, if you're going into Florida and you're going to get somebody, those are the types of schools that you want to be going up against. Power 5 schools, but schools that are either on your level or a little bit below you, that's probably kind of what you're looking at And if you're going to have success in Florida. Absolutely. Our next Florida man was Jasper Simmons. He was a JUCO out of Hutchinson Community College in Kansas, but he was from Washington High School in Pensacola. So as a JUCO guy, he only had two years to play. He played the full two years. He had 16 starts to his name. Um, he was usurped by Kenja Jackson towards the end of his career, mm-hmm. which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Kenja Jackson was awesome. Um, but again, who did we beat him out for? Well, K-State, Memphis, Ole Miss, Okie State, and UAB. Uh, again, <laughs> peer programs in some high G5s. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. I, gosh, you know what my favorite thing about Jasper Simmons was that he was the exact height and weight as Jeremy Macklin, and they put him back there to return kicks. And I was like, oh, that is devious. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and he wore number nine. Didn't have quite the same results as uh, no. as one Jeremy Macklin, no, though. No, but that's unrealistic to expect. <laughs> this is, I think, the first, like – 
of of the good Mizzou teams, the really good ones. Um, Darvin Ruiz. Wait, Ruiz? Ruse. Ruse? I think it was Ruse. Oh, God. I could be wrong there, though. I'm sorry, man. I, I should have looked this up. But, uh, yeah, out of uh, Baker County High School in Glen St. Mary, Florida. Darvin, <laughs> I'll leave it at that, started as a special teamer. He was a backup linebacker for the 2012 and 2013 seasons. Uh, and then broke into the starting role in 2014. So he has 13 starts to his name. He was on campus for five years. Uh, he wasn't drafted. He didn't play in the NFL. Um, but this is kind of this is a good one. So like his offer sheet: ECU, East Carolina, Georgia Tech, but South Carolina and Tennessee. Now, this is 2010 when we were not in the SEC. So going into Florida and beating out some kind of premier programs for a kid like this, that was a win. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That's a win, and I remember that dude in the locker room. The linebackers absolutely loved him. Awesome. <laughs> he was the, one of the more well-liked guys within that locker room, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then we get to a guy named Sean Colkin, tight end, three-star, out of Indian Rocks Christian High School in Largo, Florida. Five years, graduated from Mizzou, 37 starts to his name, and he played in the NFL. Something that's even more rare from yeah. these Florida guys. Uh, Cincinnati, FIU, Furman, Iowa State, Kansas, Liberty, Miami, Ohio, Rutgers, Samford, USF, UCF, Western Michigan. This is the first guy who's got more than five schools chasing after him, and Mizzou got him, and he ended up in the NFL. He might not have been like the most super impressive tight end, especially since Mizzou has a legacy tight end. Um, but this is a, I think this might be our best win recruiting wise. What do you think? I remember this actually. I don't know why Sean Colkin was one of the guys that I just kind of fell for during the ring recruiting process. You know how we all, we always have the, yeah. that guy, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody's got the guy that they watch the, the, the highlight video and they're like, Oh my God, he's going to be amazing. <laughs> and for me, Sean Colkin was that guy in 2012. I think originally, if I'm not mistaken, he was listed as a receiver mm -hmm. in that class. Yep. And it was just like you watch these videos and it's literally just him in the red zone on fades. <laughs> and it's just this mammoth six foot five wide receiver with a quarterback who was just like kind of okay putting it in his general vicinity. Mm -hmm. And he's just mossing over these smaller corners. And you're like, yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. And so he ends up. You, you kind of get to know him as, as I did whenever I was covering Mizzou at the time. And super bright guy, worked his ass off, bulked up in a way that I wasn't sure he was going to be able to when he originally got there. Worked really hard to become a pretty, at least average blocker, I would say, by the time that he left. Um, ended up being a really good player, an underrated player in my opinion. Because uh, like you said, Mizzou had so much success with tight ends over that decade, really, that... You don't really think of Sean Colkin's name immediately, but he was a heck of a player, and yeah, a big-time recruiting win for him. 
5.73 stars are kind of where it starts to get interesting, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he was. Yeah. Yeah. I always, maybe I'm cheating, and maybe it's because I'm a Mizzou fan and we just don't get a lot of blue chip guys. If you're a 5.7 or somewhere around there, I just count you as a four star. Or at least I should say I have expectations of a four star. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's just mentally how I view it. It's just different, right? Because like there's when you look at the five point five versus five point seven, for some reason in my mind, there's just like this massive gap in what that player is expected to be at the next level. Agreed. I don't know if that's like you said. I don't know if that's fair at all based on what the rivals recruiting site bases that upon. But I think it's because we see so many of those guys in that range that Mizzou recruits on an annual basis. That I just, it, for me, it's just this this massive gulf in between the two. And I guess just in case our listenership is not aware, what the rivals site, you can be a two star, you can be a three star, four star, or five star. And the lowest ranking they're going to give you is a five point two. That would be a two star. The highest they can give is a six point one, and that's a five star. And there's like twenty to twenty five kids in any year that are five star material. You get somewhere around a hundred four stars. Everybody else is a three-star or lower. Now, four stars start at the 5.8 ranking. Two stars mm-hmm. start at the 5.4. So your three stars, which is what Mizzou mostly gets, is 5.5 to 5.7. Um, again, I'm, I am with you, BK. I think it's just because we see so many of these guys. But if you're a 5.5, you know, I think Rivals is saying, hey, you can start day one, but you know, you need a little bit more weight, you know, or you need a little bit faster shuttle time or something like that. If you're a 5.7, like you're basically a four star. You're probably just too short. <laughs> like that's, I feel like that's yeah. what every 5.7 is. Um, or like Colkin, you, yeah. you need to add weight to exactly. become a tight end. Exactly. Like everything else is there, but you need to add weight and learn how to block. Exactly. So it's like a little thing that's holding you back. So 5.7, I, I just, that's my expectations. Sounds like it is for you. So those, getting those kind of guys, that's a win. And that's, that. you know, Colkin to me is one of the better victories uh, that Mizzou's had in, in the state of Florida. Which is funny because his battery mate from 2012 was another tight end by oh, a guy named Brandon Holyfield. Uh, he was working on his redshirt season in 2012 until the cops find out that he liked drugs. And he got arrested for it. And they kicked him off was, the team. Was he with DGB? He was one of the guys in the car with I DGB, think so. wasn't he? I think so, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys in the car when they were over um, like by the stadium mm-hmm. whenever they got arrested. So I, I think stupid. it was that story, if I'm not mistaken. So stupid. Now, he had some other um, extracurriculars involved in the arrest, I believe. So I think that's why he was uh, well. kicked off the team. It could just be that he was you know, expendable and DGB was not. I don't know, but... Um, we did technically win his services, but this is the evaluation of Florida guys by the Pinkle crew. This is kind of one of those guys where I'm like, uh, we might've been reaching because his offer sheet was FAU Gardner Webb, Miami, like the U Miami grand, but in, and then Samford. And you know, you, you and I have talked plenty about, the Odom staff being really good scouts, really good evaluators. It just seemed like the Pinkle guys couldn't get a good grasp consistently on the Florida kids, and this is kind of exhibit A uh, of that lack of ability to either develop or get them, keep them out of trouble for a long time. 
Yeah, and I just looked this up. It was DGB, Harold Brantley, and Brandon Holyfield in that car. Oh. That's a blast from the past right there. Um, I I remember I remember Holyfield, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he was like a freak athlete. And I think this was one of those situations where it was like, it's late in the process. We have a spot left. This guy's a freak athlete. Let's take a shot on him. Um, I, I think it was one of those, If I again, if I'm not mistaken, on when this all kind of came together. But, yeah, sometimes you miss. And if Holyfield was a guy that we look back to, looked back on and he was out of uh, Indiana or whatever, I don't know that he would be somebody that would stands out. Mm-hmm. But because it was a trend in this particular state, I think it stands out a lot because it was, it was more or less a, a sign of what was about to come. I God, I almost hesitate to say this because I, I, it can come across as very negative or personal. I don't mean it that way, but I'm pretty sure he was a qualification risk. Like they had, okay. they had to do summer classes to make sure he could get to campus, and that I mean that that happens to a lot of guys. That's not picking on him. Sure. But when you see an offer sheet, and again, no disrespect to these schools, but when you see an offer sheet of FAU, Garner Webb, Samford, Miami, and Mizzou, and you're like a, you're like a signing day signing, um, that's typically pretty indicative of a great issue, which you just got to work out. So, right. um, and then it didn't work out. So sorry, man, but that's okay. Uh, we move on to 2013. We got a guy named Nate Crawford, and he was the first of many out of West Florida Tech in Pensacola, Florida. Now, Nate Crawford had nothing wrong with him. He, his offer sheet was uh, Cincinnati, FIU, Kentucky, Louisville, Memphis, Mississippi State, and South Florida. So pretty comparable there. Um, he was recruited as a defensive end. He was a 5.53 star defensive end. But he happened to show up on campus when we were out of dudes who could play offensive line. So we yeah. so we switched him to offensive guard. And then he had a was it back surgery or some kind of back problem. And he had to retire after four years, which was very sad for him. He was a good kid, too. Um, ended up getting an education degree. Was like oh. I remember he would come to his uh, press conferences on, on the Monday afternoon or whatever, and he would always be dressed up because he'd either be getting ready to go or had come from like student teaching oh, or whatever. Nice. Just a little bit of a side note there. Uh, good kid. Big dude. Mm-hmm. Was okay when he played. Got probably pushed into the lineup before he needed to, before yes. he should have been. Yes. Um, but was like a solid average player, was able to play offensive line, not a super aggressive guy. But if that's the type of player that you're getting out of Florida, that's fine. You can deal with it. Ended up being there for the full time outside of the injury issues, obviously, there at the end. But um, Nate Crawford was a fine guy. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, yeah, if he had a couple more seas- uh, seasons of becoming an offensive lineman, I think he would have been just fine. And, of course, the bad back did him no favors as well. Now, BK, this is where we get to the saddest timeline of Florida recruits. Let me go through these one by one. Trayvon Walters, Lawrence Lee, Deshaun Blair, Rossell McWilliams, Spencer Williams. Roxell. Roxell, my bad. Roxell McWilliams. Spencer Williams. I learned that one after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) One Mr. Ishwitter and Marvin Zanders. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys of those seven. Two were dismissed, three transferred, and one made it to graduation day. That was Ish Witter. BK, do you have any sort of words about the 2014 Florida recruiting class? A complete bleep show. 
um, I think would be the way that I would describe it. Um, the dismissals were rough. Um, Deshaun Blair, I listen, man, God bless the kid. I hope he goes on to do great things with his life. He couldn't catch. Like I I remember spring camp that year Mm -hmm. and that was when Mizzou had no receivers. And it was like one of these like four sophomores is going to have to be really good. And Deshaun Blair was one of those guys that they were trying to count on. He couldn't catch anything, man. It would come straight to him. And at that point, you've got Drew Locke throwing him the ball. And it's like, what's going on here? He, mm-hmm. he, he couldn't figure things out. So that was rough. Um, Roxel McWilliams and Spencer Williams were just never going to move up on the depth chart. And Marvin Zanders, everybody wanted him wanted him to be something that he just frankly wasn't. Yeah. Um, Ishwitter was the only guy that made any sort of impact out of that group. And Ish, I'm not going to even put in that same category with any of the others because he ended up going on to have what is objectively a successful career. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's the eighth leading rusher all time. School history. That dude's one of the toughest running backs I've seen yeah, at Mizzou. tough. He he ran into tackles. He tried to break fools, and he was what five eight. <laughs> you know, I, mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, it. It's it's a testament to somebody who can get on the field early and continue to contribute for all four years. Just because you're like on the you know career rushing list doesn't mean you're you know some elite awesome back. It just means you worked hard and you were consistently good. And that was Ishwitter, you know, to a T. Um, the what is this we got one so Crawford was from Pensacola's West Florida Tech Lawrence Lee West Florida Tech Roxell McWilliams West Florida Tech those were all Pensacola kids let's not go there anymore <laughs> like <laughs> just stay away from that um it was it, the offer sheet too is really curious like Trayvon Walters we were battling with FIU Georgia Southern Marshall USF and Toledo Okay, like I understand when you're going for three-star kids, that's typically the kind of kids or these kind of schools that you're bumping up against. But you know, you gotta really make sure you're correct on that. And I, I thought he was gonna be good too, man. I remember in camp that year, uh, watching him versus Ish Witter, and I was like, "Why is Ish Witter the guy that is above <laughs> Trayvon Walters? Like Walters is just objectively better." I, I was obviously unbelievably wrong about that. Like looking yeah. back, I couldn't have been more wrong. But I really liked him whenever he got to campus. He looked the part. Yeah. Uh, it just it never worked out for him. And then ultimately, you know, getting dismissed ain't great either. Yeah, and I mean Lawrence Lee had only one other school going after him. It was Tennessee. And I was like, okay, you only have one other school offering you a scholarship. I mean, it's a Power Five school, but um, I don't know. I was very curious, and he liked he liked drugs too. He got busted for something. I forget what it was, but he got dismissed. Uh, Deshaun Blair allergic to football. He transferred. Uh, <laughs> Roxell McWilliams. I he had a pretty good offer sheet. Florida, Minnesota, uh, but um, just didn't put it together. Spencer Williams transferred to get closer to home, if I remember correctly. Which you know that's that's fine. I understand that he had five stars to his name, but yeah, it's really Ishwitter was the crown jewel of this crap fest 2014 recruiting class. And you know when when Barry Odom got up on the podium in 2016 and said this is a rebuild, and we all kind of scoffed and go, "What are you talking about?" This is what he was talking about. He had mm-hmm. no receivers. He had seven guys. Who, who could not stay on campus or fi- see the field, and they were, were starting completely over. And 
you know, I, I kind of I scoffed myself when he said that. But when you see the outcome of these recruiting classes, one recruiting class can set you back for years. And that's what the 2014 class did. And it was a terrible foray into Florida. Just they they didn't hit on any of these guys except for one. Uh, just to clarify on Lawrence Lee, uh, he was arrested on two counts of second-degree burglary and one count of felony stealing. Oh, he got um, the debit that card was, right. That's what it was. Yeah. Ooh. It, it wasn't It wasn't good. So uh, that was the Lawrence Lee foray. Um, so I, I think there's actually something instructive about that, about Lawrence Lee and Brandon Holyfield and Trayvon Walters and these guys that were – dismissed from the program and other guys that just didn't work out for one reason or another. One thing that you get whenever you consistently recruit guys from an area is you will have sources within those schools that will be honest with you about what you're getting with those players. And that might be a janitor. It might be an English teacher. It might be a principal. It might be a coach. You have different people at different schools when you don't recruit there consistently, the coaches are going to lie to you. They're going to try to get for you sure. to take their kid yep. because it is good for them to have a Lawrence Lee or a Brandon Holyfield or whoever the guy is go on to play at a Power 5 university. That's really good. That's a really good look for these coaches. Um, and if they get dismissed, it's not on the coach that they got dismissed. No. That Well, that was the kid that messed up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sure, maybe that coach who is at that power five school is going to be pissed at you. But if you never really worked with that coach anyways, to begin with, doesn't change anything for you. It's not like you did it to Florida or Florida state or whoever that's different for Mizzou in Missouri. Mm -hmm. The coaches in Missouri are going to be very honest with the Missouri staff because they've got those relationships and they don't want to screw it up because they want to be able to continue feeding Mizzou those kids. And there's going to be kids that Mizzou is going to take a chance on because of that in Missouri that end up working out well because they trust their sources within those programs that never really seems to develop in Florida. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you get get down that road of what we saw in 2013 and 2014. And that's how you get a lot of these kids that other programs weren't touching that had significant um, sources within those programs. I don't think I remember you saying a single power five program in the state of florida outside of miami (laughs) no as an offer for one of those other kids that ultimately got dismissed right there's a reason behind that and it's not because those programs are stupid and missed out on those kids it's because they weren't touching those kids with a 10-foot pole so i i do think there's something instructive behind that that's an excellent point it's about trust babe it's about those relationships and it's about trust and you got to be there to get that trust and get those stories so um as we as we go out of 14 really over the past five years Taking a bunch of guys, Franklin Agbashamir, um, no other offers from any other school. He was a project, never really worked out. Chris Black. That was a worthwhile project. Oh, absolutely so. was. His his film, astounding. Like the number of dudes that he just destroyed was incredible. But he had only played for, you know, a year, I think, at that point. And, you know, right. he bounced around from linebacker to defensive end. And, you know, it, it should have worked, but it didn't. Uh, Chris Black, the transfer from Alabama, he was at uh, Jacksonville's First Coast. Had five starts, had a handful of catches. Odom just didn't use him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isaiah Miller was a transfer after two years. Tyree, really, you're looking at Tyree Gillespie, the two-star out of uh, Ocala, Florida, who's still here, still being awesome, uh, and Jarvis Ware. 
two star from 2018 out of uh, Apopka, Florida. Those are the two notable guys who are still around. Isaiah Miller transferred, Tyrone Collins transferred, uh, but those two guys stuck around, and like that worked. And again, I am crediting Odom's evaluation, well, Odom and his staff, their evaluation, um, their their recruiting ability, their scouting ability to get these kids in and get into what they want to do because when it works, Florida kids really, really work. They do, um, and when it doesn't, it, it, it goes south. If you end up developing those relationships that I was talking about, this can work. And this is the case anywhere. This is not, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Chicago and about Denver, right? And if you're going to make that a success, you're going to have to develop those relationships there. Just like if you do this in Florida, you're going to have to develop those relationships. And we always talk about that word, and that's the buzzword around recruiting. But it's the buzzword for a reason. It's a buzzword because it's true. If you don't have those relationships, you make big-time mistakes that backfire on you, and then you miss out on an entire class because you went all in on Florida, and it failed. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what we need to see from this new staff is you got to develop these relationships, and you got to do so quick. If you're actually going to count on whether it be Florida or Chicago or Denver or whatever the place is, that's the first place that you have to begin is making sure that you're not getting screwed over by these coaches and they're giving you false information that you can't actually rely on. But Jarvis Ware and Tyree Gillespie are huge success stories of diving into Florida and ultimately coming out with guys that are exactly what you would want to get, which is an underrated two, three star guy that comes in and produces right away for you. Both of whom are, really athletic, really big and strong players. And for whatever reason that the in-state schools just missed on them. Yeah, it happens. It happens. I mean, gosh, you know, for, for Tyree Gillespie, his offer sheet was Florida A&M, FAU, Iowa State, and Marshall, you know? And then like Jarvis Ware, UCF, FAU, FIU, UMass. And yeah, I mean, maybe you should ask yourself, Oh, why aren't the Florida schools doing it? No, am I, am I taking a risk? But, when you hit, you hit, and these guys have been consistent uh, performers for the past couple of years, and it's worked. So uh, 20 starts for Tyree Gillespie, 12 so far for Jarvis Ware, and they're still here. So uh, it's a good haul there. So before we get out and close this show, I did drop the first uh, opponent preview for the 2020 season, which is Central Arkansas. Um, the TLDR version here is that Central Arkansas as a program – got their stuff together they have a program culture they have uh, an identity they recruit to it really well Uh, they do beat fbs teams even last year they did they've been to the fcs playoff they don't lose a lot of games they're consistently very good and their staff has been in place for a long time mizzou should win okay like i'm not i'm not predicting some kind of upset here but FCS teams do beat FBS teams, and it's typically when the FBS team is in flux and the FCS team has their <clears throat> ish together. So, oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to say you should be scared, BK, but um, any thoughts on the Bears of Central Arkansas opening up 2020? Yeah, I hate these games. I hate them. There's, there's no reason to schedule them. It's a terrible decision by Mizzou to do so. I don't know how long ago they scheduled this. Maybe it was 
seven years ago, right? Because we all know how this stupid scheduling mm-hmm. all comes together. And I'm sorry I'm bitter about it, but Mizzou scheduled KU games for 10 years from now when the kids that are going to be playing in it are currently eight years old. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's ridiculous the way that we're all doing this. Um, anyway, side tangent. But I, these games serve no purpose other than to allow Central Arkansas to play football for the rest of the year. Like that That's really all this does. Yeah, and yeah. Good for Central Arkansas. I, I hope that they continue getting their money. But for a program like Mizzou, what's what's the purpose of scheduling this? I I don't know, man. I I I hate these games. Um, I never enjoy them because y- you gain nothing. Because the likelihood is you're gonna win the game thirty five to six. Um, but if you don't, then now everything's gone south and you have no idea what to expect for the rest of the year. So that's where I'm at on it. What you, you looked into them far more than I ever will or have. Mm -hmm. What's your, what was your takeaway from going into the deep dive of central Arkansas? So I, I have, again, we should win this game. I'm a little apprehensive because I'm always nervous about, you know, a new regime taking over the team and a super young team that's, you know, new staff, all that sort of stuff. Like, we are in a lot of flux right now. When you are in a lot of flux, you're very vulnerable. Last thing you want to do is play a team that is a good program. That being said, Mizzou should have better athletes, flat out. Deeper roster, flat out. But if you're going to beat Mizzou, at this point, is what we think they're constructed, how do you do it? Well, if I were to do it, I would be attacking through the air because I know that, you know, the starting guys on defense, really good, especially in the secondary. The ones behind them, no clue. I have no idea who they are or what they can do. <laughs> and uh, Central Arkansas has two excellent receivers. Um, there's one, Lawan Winningham. Well, that's tougher to say than I anticipated. I typed his name like 50 times and I can't say it out loud. <laughs> Lawan Winningham. There we go. Tyler Hudson, who was a freshman last year. Those two combined for 105 catches, 1,789 yards, and 20 touchdowns on their own, averaging 16 yards per catch. Okay. This is a team that likes to throw it sideline to sideline. Make you start playing a little bit closer to the to the line of scrimmage, spread it out a little bit from the middle to run, and then go over the top. And boy, they can go over the top. Their quarterback Braylon Smith, uh, only one year of full starting under his belt, but he's a 65% completion rate, over 3,000 yards, damn near 4,000, 32 touchdowns. He takes a lot of sacks and is not super mobile, but he is very very accurate. So if I were the Bears, I'd say, all right, let's see what this secondary depth can do and just wane it around, and I think worst-case scenario, you could see yourself in a Mizzou-Missouri State situation where all of a sudden they're putting up 40 and you have 60, and you're like, why? Uh, But I think the most likely scenario is exactly what you say, something like 35, 38 to 7, and just get the heck out of there, figure out what you have, and gear up for Vanderbilt. That's what I expect. That's ultimately the way that these games more often than not go. Um, but it doesn't take away my dis- despite. I I have so much hatred for these games. So much <laughs> hatred. I, if I'm a coach, I would never schedule a game like this ever. Um, I just I, I think that there's so little that you can gain out of it. You get a win. 
Maybe. You <laughs> hope. You should. <laughs> That's how you you should, but then at the end of the season, if you are somebody that is actually a contender and those wins really start to matter, well, now everybody looks at it and doesn't even count it as a win because, oh, sweet, they beat Central Arkansas, you know? So the win doesn't give you as much as you'd think unless you're really battling to get to those six wins. Um, but yeah. otherwise, it it just it, it doesn't really mean much. Breaking news, BK. Mizzou is not a contender, uh, or at least won't be for the next couple of years. So just get the W, baby. Uh, well, that's the other problem is in a season like this, you might end up losing, and then that's even worse. <laughs> and now you have completely crumbled any yeah. I- excitement that the program had around it. Yeah. If Drink loses this first game, dude, I – I can't even imagine what the storylines will be surrounding this team. It will not matter if he wins or loses this game. It will not. It will not be an indication of whether or not he's going to succeed or fail at Mizzou. That being said, it will absolutely be taken as an indication that he's going to fail at Mizzou if he loses this first game against Central Arkansas. The number of is he in over his head articles would be just disgusting. And, oh, yeah, I don't I don't want that at all. So uh, please win. Please win, Drink. Uh, this is – this is it's scheduled so that you win, so please go ahead and do so. <sighs> anything else, BK? Anything else on your mind? Anything else going on you want to talk about? I'm really excited that we're going to watch football this fall. Um, that's going to be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I'm looking forward to that. Now, um – I would like to have a quarterback at Mizzou. Yeah. Uh, that would be another nice thing, but that's another discussion for another day. <laughs> well, that that is going to be the show for today. We'll probably get into that next next time because we got nothing but time and nothing but topics to talk about. <laughs> uh, but as always, we appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the subscriptions. Please leave a comment or rate us because we love all types of feedback. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Uh, and, of course, you can listen to them on 101 ESPN on your radio. Uh, but if you don't want to, that's fine. Just stream it, please. Listen to BK. He's very smart. He knows how he's supposed to If you want to follow the Rockin' Flagship, you can. He's that's out of the Rockin' Of course, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to be better the next time. And until then, I'm Izzy. See you later.